Welcome back to Awakened Exchanges. I'm your host, Jay Rich, and you're listening to the fourth in my series, Deconstructing the Great Awakening Map. Unlike the others in this series so far, I have special guests joining me to talk about this week's section of the map. As always, I'm truly grateful to be here speaking with you, and I hope you're continuing to enjoy as we take our deep dive on this strange and compelling web artifact. You can always email me about other interesting topics or guests, and you can use the contact form on our website or contact me on Twitter at Awaken Exchanges. I'll keep doing my best to bring you the content that you ask for, and I'm always grateful that you keep asking. I'm recording this intro on Monday as I try to get this episode uploaded in time for tomorrow. As suspected, the amount of material I attempted to group together in these two sections was a bit too much. The tiny font that 5D uses in some of his... Uh, terminology means that once I outline it and cover all of the phrases, it turns into hours and hours of information, and that's just if I read it to you in a boring, monotone voice. So I've tried to keep things interesting as I do these solo episodes and still give you relevant info and some humor as well as good intentions. I have to admit, though, things seemed a bit more fun for me, at least, uh, with the co-host this week. It definitely slowed down actual progress on breaking down the map, though. Hopefully you'll enjoy the change of pace as much as I did. I'm including the fully separated and highlighted Great Awakening map in our show notes, and that'll show how I grouped all of the sections together. Um, It's going to probably also be in this week's pinned Twitter thread, uh, which is also available on our Telegram channel. On top of seeing how I broke up the map, though, I'll include a picture showing the two sections that I merged together and called the metaphysical sections. So maybe you can make sense of some of my madness in there. I've already given the disclaimers that we're talking about a lot of conspiracy theories in this series, but I want to add that we'll be talking more about religious speculation and subjective experiences in today's and a couple of the next few episodes. So Let's keep that in mind and give the cultures the respect they deserve. Most of this episode will be focused on the Buddhist terminology found in these two sections of the map. I'm going to try and keep the intro brief yet again, but I want to remind you that I am updating those pinned Twitter threads and the Telegram channel. I'm going to collect all the visuals that go along with this series, and I hope that you're still enjoying the threads. The response seems pretty strong so far so thank you again very grateful to have you guys here if you need the link to my telegram channel it's in the show notes as well as on our website and i hope you take the opportunity to engage with us in the exchange leave us a message on there and you'll get a personal response anyway before we get to the metaphysical here's a brief rundown of our sponsors as always i want to thank all of you personally for your support Just listening and sharing this podcast with your friends gives me a reason to keep providing the best content possible. If you have the means and would like to contribute personally, please take a look at our Patreon page, where you will get access to exclusive content and deals. There are already bonus videos available, and way more is going to be on the way this year. As for our other sponsors, Awaken Vapes was the first of the Awaken brands and has been helping you modulate your high with CBD-only high-terpene vape products since 2019. Genesis Farms has been making the highest quality medicinal RSO, among many other fantastic products, starting with the medical community back before 2010. And last but not least, the Caramel Corn Company, bringing you caramel corn the way it was meant to be. And remember, if you enjoy this podcast, please follow us on Spotify, 
subscribe to us on YouTube, or follow us wherever else you're listening. And if you can leave a review or a comment on Apple Podcasts, it really does help spread the word. You can also support us on Patreon or connect with us on the social media of your choice. We are at Awakened Exchanges on Facebook and Instagram, and at Awaken Exchanges on Twitter. All right, now stay tuned and thank you for listening to Awakened Exchanges. Genesis Farms was founded on the belief in cannabis's ability to heal. Genesis Farms is more than a brand. They're a compassionate community of like-minded folks that generate top-quality cannabis products made with love and care. Community outreach is always on their mind, and their partnerships with Grow for Vets and Parents for Pot was just the beginning of what they hope to accomplish in the coming years. You can find their products on the best dispensary shelves across the state of Oregon. Their RSO is the most consistent quality in the state. Their tinctures are second to none, and their personal massage oil will have you and your partner coming back for more. Find them on Facebook and Instagram and ask for them in your local dispensary today. Don't forget to listen to Sean's interview right here on Awakened Exchanges. It's episode number three. The Caramel Corn Company is bringing you caramel corn the way it was meant to be. Made with premium ingredients in small, handcrafted batches and completely gluten-free. Their flavors include original, roasted cashew, salted almond, mixed nut, spicy sriracha, white morsel macadamia, peanut butter, butterscotch, and my personal favorites, chocolate drizzle and raspberry caramel apple. I can't say enough about how delicious this caramel corn is. It makes a great gift any time of the year. You can find them for sale in Portland area market of choice locations and hopefully again online soon when they get stocked back up. Please visit www.caramelcorncompany.com for more information today. And remember, buying local supports small businesses and keeps your money building your community. Last but not least, Awaken Vapes has been bringing you some of the highest quality CBD vapes since ringing in the new year of 2019. I became passionate about cannabis after a car wreck left me with major migraines and no prescribed pills helped alleviate the symptoms. Having only tried cannabis a handful of times in high school and college, it was a doctor's recommendation that led me to give it another try. Only then did I realize that we'd all been at least a little misled about the health benefits of this amazing plant. Despite an unexpected break because of the vape ban and then a global health crisis with COVID, the business is stronger than ever, and we invite you to check out our updated website today. We are still offering our three varieties with new and improved terpene formulations for enhanced flavor to go along with the custom blended effect profiles. Check back at www.awakenedvapes.com for any updates, and you can always email us about wholesaling or white labeling opportunities. We're back again. This is the fourth episode involving the Great Awakening map. But this one is going to be a very different type of feel for us. This is the first episode where I've basically invited on not one, but two co-hosts. 
I want to thank Sean Shumway and Chris Moomy for once again joining me on what is going to be a very special edition of Awakened Exchanges. We're going to take a deep dive into the metaphysical parts of the map, but before we get into that, Sean and I were preparing to do this episode together when I ended up plying Chris with caffeine, alcohol, and weed to join us for some questions and humor. So, I'm a cheap well, date. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Chris and I have been smoking since about 10 a.m., and uh, we've been drinking since about 4, so uh, we've got the e-nail on over here, which you're going to probably hear, as well as probably some coughing and whatnot. Uh, we've also got our beers going, our ciders, thanks to uh, Avid, a blackberry currant apple that is fucking delicious, by the way. I'm not getting paid to say that, but I wish I were. Uh... And this is actually the first time I've drank in probably a month. So, you guys ready for this? Let's do it. Yes. All right. Uh, we should all remember that this is pretty much an experiment at this point. We're going to let the tape roll. Uh, might be a long one-parter, but if it ends up going too long, maybe we'll break it up into two parts or fuck, who knows. Um, either way, I'm looking forward to what comes of this. And uh, All right, let's start recording. Let's get into the map and keep in mind these two sections, which I'm going to call the metaphysical sections of the map. Uh, there's no real single large word font or phrase that's listed uh, um, that quite encapsulates all the concepts, so I just kind of termed it what I wanted to. Uh, they have no real form or directed way of reading them either, so I had to read through all of this and uh, group it together in what I thought was the most coherent fashion. So... I, I, I hope you agree. Um, let's start in the upper left section, like always, and this one talks about collective consciousness and mass meditation. There's a quote in a tiny font um, that reads, Our co-creative group consciousness has the power to manifest anything into being. Therefore, we must keep our thoughts on peace, compassion, and forgiveness for all beings. And under that goal, <laughs> excuse me. And under that, their goal appears to be quote an end to all suffering, a good goal and one that's mentioned multiple times. Any thoughts before we get into a little bit of Buddhism here, fellas? Well, my thought on that is is not only can our thoughts manifest; that's all they ever do. You know, mm -hmm. I look at it as. We are never not manifesting. And like they say, it's a choice of where our thoughts are as to what actually comes out into the world around us. Uh, I believe it was uh, Choging Trungpa um, from the Shambhala sect uh, that when I first heard him describe meditation as um, we are meditating every second. Whether or not we are consciously doing it is, is the difference. So if you're sitting here being angry or upset all the time, you're going to get better and better and better at being angry, upset, because you're meditating on it. But if you're actually making conscious choices to bring that loving kindness and uh, into your meditation, then uh, you can actually affect those around you as well because you're going to change how you're acting to, towards others exactly and that's a um, good point there that it's about that conscious choice is you talk about those negative emotions like anger or whatever those are emotions are valid 
but they come from more of like an unconscious reactive place. They're almost like a protection mechanism. And so if you stay dwelling in that, you know, that's what's going to cause to perpetuate and cause these negative, negative points in your life where you can stop, come down and say, okay, that was then, it sucked, but I can still move on with my life. I can still find peace, center, balance in some way. You know, you can come back to a more of a conscious, proactive choice. Um, I was just finishing up uh, conversations with God, Neil Donald Walsh, uh, not long ago. And there's a section in there where he actually talks about reactive versus creative. All of our mm-hmm. thoughts are creative, but we're, if we let ourselves react, then we're taking away our ability to consciously create. Yeah. Just take her off the table. Set her on the floor. She's all good. And uh, I'm going to probably leave a little bit of this in there. Uh, remember, there is a new addition to the podcast family, and Shadow uh, likes to kind of be part of the action. So you may hear her <laughs> roaming around or us reacting to her as she's exploring her new territory around us. Uh, anyway, uh, that said, I think that's about all, all I really had on that was just that, that you know, Take the opportunity to be creative in your thoughts. Stop, think about it, you know, make an active choice instead of a reactive reaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you want to read a little bit about Zogchen or shall I? Uh, I'll start at least and uh, talk. That basically, Zogchen is a Tibetan Buddhist term. It's uh, on the map, there's an actual little quote that says, uh, Tibetan Buddhism's highest teachings on how to achieve rainbow body. We're going to get into the rainbow body in Tibetan Buddhism here in just a second. Um, I know through some other interviews I listened to that uh, 5D, the creator of the map, actually did go fairly deep into the, the Zogchen kind of lifestyle after he made the map. And he alludes to a lot of secret Tibetan Buddhist teachings all over the place. I don't know that any of them were actually experienced before he created the map. So it's kind of, uh, to me, it feels like an outsider's perception of it before he became an insider. Uh, and I don't know necessarily how much he is either. And I only have limited experience with it myself but uh did you want to talk about the rainbow body well why don't you uh why don't you go through the the overall outline here and then we'll kind of expand on it all right sounds good um so i don't want to do this term injustice uh so let me just start off by saying that i absolutely fucking will um the best definition that i could find is that Quoting from stillnessinthestorm.com, the rainbow body is a term describing a state of being in which an individual has transcended all suffering and attained a state of complete union with the universe and the consciousness of creation. This state of being is very similar to what contemporaneously has been described as ascension. In times of old, it was defined as enlightenment. It is the state of completely destroying the separate selfish self, the negative ego, which emerges thereafter as a servant of universal will. But there are many other ways to describe this state of being, such as universal consciousness. Ascended, sovereign, self-mastered, self-actualized, and so on. It goes on to say that, while there is much to say insofar as understanding the core teachings of this technique, it can be summarized as making every thought a loving thought. 
the mind uh, and consciousness energize the body in terms of how we define our experiences. If we label our experiences as bad and reject the fullness of what life offers, this creates blockages within our minds as voids of comprehension. So we can't understand and reconcile what we've chosen to ignore or deny about existence. Therefore, in order to restore wholeness it be, as to become holy, is what they're trying to say there, um, one must progressively change all their mental patterns, programs, or beliefs that support separate consciousness. For example, if we dislike some household chore, refusing to embrace it in fullness, this creates a schism within the mind that generates negative emotions. If we accept this state of being as our truth, then disassociation with reality occurs, preventing the energies from fully realizing the rainbow body state. Clearly, we have not made every thought a loving thought if we hate washing dishes or detest some other part of our lives. <laughs> so it's basically that uh, anything that you already are detesting or hating you are denying within yourself. You're, you're not delving into it to confront it head on and understand that that possibility exists in you. Right, right, right. And uh, um, in that part in particular, I am almost seeing like a relation to like, uh, to put into psychological terms, to Jungian shadow work. Mm-hmm. You know? I love and, Jung. And I see this as overall, you know, reading through this, you know, if you think about it, and I know we'll talk about, you know, Hinduism a little bit later and whatnot, I mean, this is kind of like, again, that universal message, you know, if you think about, you know, this is a common thing that emerged for us, you know, in, in whatever this, yeah. this central thing that everything's connected to, whatever you want to say about it. That collective consciousness, whatever that, you, you know, want to call it kind of a thing, right? Right, you know, this process here, if you think about it, whether... Those who use this label see it that way themselves or not. This is almost like what I see in the the Christian concept of forgiveness. They're letting go. They're releasing that negativity within themselves. Hmm. Now, in that method, they're they're attributing it to this external power, you know, to give them the forgiveness they can't give themselves. But on the psychological level, I think it's the same process. You know, as as said, you know, as we get into like the Hinduism again, we'll see the same kind of thing. You know, it's all about that that return back to source. And uh, real quick, um, I want to hear a little bit more on that. Real quick, the monkey head stash batter, <laughs> monkey head stash batter from Beehive, which I'm smoking on right now, is delicious. By the way, um, expand a little bit more on the the negativity side and the the um, the denying, I guess, at the end there. So I guess it almost kind of goes back a little to, let's see, do, have we even got to this concept yet about, so well it kind of goes back to like what I said before, I say like staying in that state of negative emotion and that reactive place, you know, so here to go to this example talking about hating doing the dishes, you know, mm. that's a gut reactive place. If you think about it, that's just a, a function of being, of, of living in a house that eats food on dishes. You know, whatever emotional attachment you have to that, and then, you know, instead of always being angry at the fact that you have to do the dishes, look inside and see why, you know, what, and I'll guarantee you there's probably, you know, 
maybe something to do with your upbringing and the way, you know, you were punished around doing the dishes or something like that or, you know, some kind of core thing there, you know. Well, I'm going to ask Chris to comment on this here in a second. Uh, I know he's going to look all scared here, but I'm going to go ahead and give my personal opinion on it. <laughs> Be careful, Shadow. <laughs> um, so my thought on, on that, um, where I wanted to go with it was uh, traffic. That's one of my biggest headaches, right? Mm -hmm. So I, listening to podcasts and traffic a lot of times, I'm trying to ignore the stuff that's going on around me, the inconsistent driving and all these things. And it's, it's bringing up these things that I actually see. You know, I've done those things before. I had to learn to be a good driver to not, you know, step on a brake or leave 15 car lengths when you're going 25 miles an hour you know things like that that you you just get better at with age or you hope to uh and or just remembering that sometimes people are having a fucking bad day and they're you know probably not paying quite enough attention to the road we all just need to get home fucking safe and it's been a different uh way for me to look at it uh driving in traffic lately to try and not always be racing to my destination trying to make the best time because that's not necessarily important as much as I left early enough to get there on time. Hopefully the universe fucking agrees with me and let's get there safe. Mm -hmm. You have any uh, reactions there, Chris? Any negative sh things that jump out at your head that I can make you introspective on for a minute? honestly just kind of enjoying listening to the deep conversation right now so, uh, so you're listening to the podcast scoot your ass up to the mic please i am listening to the podcast while your cat's currently attacking my fingers yeah i know i uh, i appreciate that as well because it keeps her busy uh our little toy is back there by the way if you want that but you have i know you crease there's has to be some sort of negative thing that that always gets your goat you see something while you're driving you see somebody at the fucking dispensary every single person person that drives in portland well yeah <laughs> but i i already get used the traffic so like you think something. merging over after you pass someone would be a thing or using your turn signals would be a thing but evidently those are all optional here in this city so well, yeah, blinkers kind of are like, uh, I think Trevor Noah said, blink and you miss them, because uh, you turn them on for half a second, apparently, around here, instead of actually signaling your intention to move in traffic you're like a normal fucking person. You're just playing a game of dodgeball. Yeah, is but if people were considerate, it's just like, you know, don't worry if this guy's going to drive like an asshole and try and prevent you from getting over. Then, all right, you slow down for a second. You go behind the fucking asshole and you flip him off if you have to, but you get over and you still do your own shit. You know, I don't know. Traffic always got to me. I drove way too much for a fucking living. So um, that is definitely a disservice to uh, uh, Rainbow Body as far as fully <laughs> describing the... <laughs> To you know, the ultimate pinnacle of fucking Tibetan Buddhism, but I think so, we did an okay job of explaining what it was. Yeah. So, but let's uh, let's follow this experience here a little bit more. This example that's laid out, talking about the traffic. Okay. So we all have this idea that we want to move towards these higher love and and this things that are suffering and yada yada yada. Well, one there, you you did the idea like you're starting to at least try to see it from a different perspective. But I'm going to say what you did just here too 
is a valid part of that too because we have to remember and and we always talk about you know negativity but we have to know that our emotions are there you know yeah. what i mean that's part of it too is accepting you know here a minute ago you know you you had some frustration come out you know you honor <laughs> that you let it be and you know i think we have to remember that's okay too I don't think I've ever been told that it's okay to be angry. And so then I, I hold it in slightly too long and it comes out as anger as opposed to just irritation or frustration, which I can let out and move on with my day and laugh about instead of fucking letting it build up. Right. That's the way I've been trying to handle it anyway. Hmm. Um, well, all right. The next concept we're going to get into um, is also part of Buddhist uh, meditation. Um, it's a meditation rigpa, which in Dzogchen teaching, rigpa is the knowledge of the ground. Um, so you're supposed to meditate on non-dual mind. Um, any thoughts, or do you want to mention what shamatha or vipassana were? So in our in our now granted, you know, we'll admit here lots of off the cuff conversation, but we do have little cheat notes here. So this says. Fuck yeah. I, I actually do a lot of research for this podcast. If you guys would believe that, it's like, you know, a job or fucking something. Yeah, yeah. As a uh, uh, as someone who have listened to my previous podcast before, know my background from that perspective, I'll say he put together a very good overall like overview. Like, this could be a great survey course for this kind of stuff. Thank you. I'm saving them. Eventually, I'll probably release them on uh, Patreon as uh, show notes for patrons. I thought that would be a good idea. Good little bonus for people. So. Sure, sure. So, shamatha is a is a Buddhist term that often translates as the tranquility or mind calmness. So yeah, tranquility of the mind or mind calmness. What? So that's the the stillness, the absence of thought, kind of kind of, kind of the opposite of the Buddhist term monkey mind. And when yes. you're not in that, you're in this. Gotcha. So. Monkey mind versus shamatha. I, I, I think Kreese um, knows monkey mind fairly well. Well, we, monkey, so we, yes. we all do. <laughs> it's, it's yes, something, we do. It's something that cannot be put off unless we start to become aware of it and start to work with it this way. Because it's how we navigate in the world. We're constantly processing and evaluating, and, you know, and that's how we relate and keep ourselves safe and operate in the world. We meditate in that way from childhood. So until you consciously choose to meditate differently and change your thought processes, you're stuck in what you've learned, basically. Mm -hmm. All right. Space monkey. And oh, go ahead, Sean. And to go to it a little more, I mean, that's how we define what something is by how we relate it to what we already know. So when we, when we immediately counter something... You know, we immediately start to run this process about what it is. And again, we're running through that through our entire day. It's through your entire life from the moment that you learn what a decision is and that you have the ability to make the right or wrong choice in that decision. You're constantly learning from that experience and it just goes into every decision that you make from that point on. That's where your sense of value and your sense of being comes from is the experiences that you're maintaining throughout your life. Mm-hmm. What gives you a special sense of calm? Because I know you are always thinking, you've always got a billion things going through your mind. When does it shut off? For me, it's when I'm out with no 
man-made natural inputs. So for me, being out in the forest or being away from the human aspect of things to kind of feel that primal instinct again, to see what it's like to not be on top of the food chain anymore by swimming in the ocean or being in the forest. Um, I think we get too comfortable in the fact that we have the ability to have an imagination and to be able to imagine the things that we're capable of, whereas from the primal side of us, we don't really experience any of that stuff anymore because current society has pretty much null and voided that. You can go to the no. store and buy your meat, your bread, your flour. You don't have to hunt or produce any of that on your own anymore. So it's taken that aspect out of everyday life. It's and been until the last two years until I thought about what it'd be like to have to kill my own meat every yeah. day. And I eat too much, probably, but... But that, I think that gets taken for granted a lot. So being back out in an arena where you have to rely on your sight, your smell, your sound, it's, it's very grounding, it's very calming because you're able to think about things rationally like a human being without, like, having that cell phone input or that Facebook input or that Instagram or Twitter input constantly controlling that day-to-day, -day, you're able to rationalize things in a much more natural manner. What about you, Sean? What are those quiet moments for you? I definitely also resonate with the whole getting out in nature thing like and that... Uh, Absolutely. That shutting down, especially from the, the electronic in input... And also, you know, I think it's a, a, to expand on what you said a little more, and a great reminder too, I think we sometimes get disconnected from the idea that we are part of the overall ecosystem of the planet. You know, it's all one big interconnected thing. Mm -hmm. And when we're disconnected from it, you know, we don't realize how much, you know, that rise and fall in the world around us still affects us and how much we are part of it. We're getting back right out in it, like you're saying, right up in your face. It brings that back to our awareness and again, I find that to be calming because when you can actually match and work with that flow of how, how life works, then things are much easier. Perspective is a lot more relevant. Whereas yeah. if you're on Twitter all the time and you're constantly seeing one perspective or one outlook mm -hmm. on the world around you, you get caught up in it. And being able to think about things as an individual, as a human, is the ultimate experience, is it not? Because we're all experiencing our own lives individually and on our own. So well, being able to really yeah. embrace that versus having everyone else tell you how you should live your life, what you should buy, where you should go, well, what you should eat. Yeah, especially now with the, the app generation, we're all, we don't have a single thing that we're all watching or that we can all relate to. We're all getting individual news feeds. We're all getting individual uh, ads. We're getting individual videos. All of our stuff is being recorded in such a way that the the cohesive unity that even used to exist in the 90s, say around fucking everybody watching Friends on Thursday, everybody would go and have water cooler talk on Friday about that. It was just a little something that everybody could relate Ooh. to, or at least everybody in some sort of context could have this oh. co-mingling. And we don't have any of that anymore. It's been disconnected because now we have social media and now we have 
at our fingertips everything that everything. we need. They've taken it out. Of, they've taken the humanity out of humanity. We have our black mirror sitting right in front of our faces all day long, scrolling through our phones. They what? sold us our own reality. Yeah. 1984 got the time a little wrong, but... But then again, think of it this way. Everyone coming in, it also helps spark the conversation, though, about the ideas of different viewpoints, different perspectives, because there, there were... That's true. We're starting, they're starting to split. Like, you talk about those common things all around entertainment, and, you know, and that... that this kind of set this rhythm to life. There's a lot more diversity where people are pulling from different areas. That's what you're saying. Right. And so in a way, you know, opening that up is starting to maybe open up different ideas, different ways of thinking. And... Think it's going to turn into a big melting pot? It kind of depends on... I think we're at a tipping point right now because we have, you know, so much of the polarization what's going on. Absolutely. The fringes. The individualism. That could go too far and pop i think it's also possible uh you know maybe we're going to figure out and say okay let's kind of back off let's find a middle ground here let's that definitely needs to happen i think society today is very much caught up in how is my political opinion Mm -hmm. relevant how can i make a difference with my voice so the things that people are passionate about whether it be a black lives matter or or um, whatever type of movement you get into, whether you be on the right side of the spectrum, the left side of the spectrum, at the end of the day, we're all divided. It's that fringe ten percent on either no side. There's no doing something for someone else because you can. You have to do someone else based off of their political belief or their viewpoints in life. It's not so much the humanity of it anymore. It's the value that that person has to you. Do you do things to people because you have similar beliefs to them? Do you do things to people because you see the world the same way as them, or do you do things to people because they're a human being and because that's how you feel? (sighs) Yeah. (sighs) I hope that people start... I've always... My favorite quote has always been, be the change you want to see in the world. Exactly. So if everybody just actually started treating people decently, everybody... Stopped having casual rudeness, casual fucking disrespect all over the place. We we could actually turn it around somewhere, I think. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that there's actually a chance for, like, I think a third friend, party, a unity party to come in and just take something away from the Democrats? Or do you think political is just going to have to blow itself up in a civil war? I honestly don't think it'll come to a civil war, but there there's just... There's this divide that's been so gapped in the last few years between the parties that now it's you have extreme liberal or you have extreme Republican. There's no no one wants to vote for anyone in the middle anymore. No one wants to find that common ground because it's it just it gets swept under the rug. And they, this they country get, has been absorbed with the drama of having two polar opposites go back and forth at one another whether it be through reality TV, whether it be through workplace drama, any number of different inputs, we've just become obsessed with this drama associated with everything. So Even mainstream news, is it's one... You go to CNN for a supposedly middle perspective. It's left middle at the best. Fox is right. MSNBC is far left. You can't... 
Nobody's watching the same shit, so how are you getting the same information? I remember uh, back a while ago, I think it was like when they were starting to, uh, the debates were starting to get ready, and the commercials for it was like, you know, da da da, the most important election of all time, da da da, like the whole tone of it, <laughs> it reminded me straight up of a wrestling pay per view commercial. That's Seriously. Right. It's yeah. No, it's K-Fay. become dramatized. It's, yeah. it's literally getting gotten to the point to where they sell it to everyone on news sites just like pay-per-view companies do for UFC fights. It's it's absolutely astronomical how much money that these people make and the general public doesn't even realize it. They don't care. It's not it's not worth they would rather argue about the other shit instead of realizing that they're all getting paid by the same corporations to pr- promote the same agendas. That doesn't, I mean, That's you what you're buying off different... of a media source, is you're buying their agenda. Yeah. You're buying the information that sounds the most relevant to your beliefs and your Rupert Murdoch it. proved that with Fox News. He may have even changed his mind in recent years. It kind of seems like he's kind of realizing that he started some fucking shit. But it's too fucking late. He thought he let the cat out of the bag. It's it is what it is, you know. I. <sighs> it just needs to get back to the point to where the news needs. I mean, obviously, it's not going to be unbiased, but it should be unbiased. <coughs> That's what having that reporting stance is. Yeah. You're not going in there and reporting this person's perspective or this person's perspective. You're reporting the facts that are associated with whatever is happening during this time, whether it be a wartime incident, whether it be a natural disaster, whether it be a commonplace good deed that someone's doing. It should always be an objective point of view. Have you heard of The Hill? It's like uh, it's on YouTube, I believe, mostly, and also on Twitter. It's uh, Crystal and Cigar, I believe, are the guys' names. I think Crystal is the conservative and Cigar is the liberal. I can't remember. It might be reversed. Either way, um, they're both moderate on either side, and they have reasonable fucking discussions about the news that is going on for the day and actually talk about it, don't yell at each other, and give you... Fucking both sides in a reasonable way to speak. I would hope they catch of, on. You're you're hearing a logical point of view from two people that are actually informed and they're researching their opinions on their own. Whereas in today's modern society, you don't have that. You have people that watch CNN and they watch Fox News and that watch OAN and that watch uh, CNBC and they're getting what's being sold to them. And they're not questioning what's being sold to them. They're hearing words that have been written down on a script long before these people have ever said them, Absolutely. and they have been designed to elicit <coughs> some type of emotion, whether it have be a state of fear them, or... Like, all the local news channels, they strip all that stuff together, and they're saying the exact same words across all the states, yeah. saying the exact same scripts. And let's not uh, forget the uh, impact of meme culture, that for all these things going on, we have these little blanket statements being passed around, filtered into everyone's mind, so they're reducing these big, complex, subtle things down to these very polarizing, you know, say a gun rights issue or... or Abortion. Or, or, yeah, exactly. You know, and they're, they're just, you know... <coughs> coming through that way. That's why, you know... This is the era of social media where everyone has a voice, where everyone feels like their opinion should be relevant based off of how I many likes they get I don't know what you're talking about have. everybody having a voice, Chris. I, I, it's not like we're on a podcast here. Hey, 
I have my voice. <laughs> this gentleman has his voice. The gentleman actually, has his voice. I actually started this to get everybody kind of heard. I think that everybody should have a voice, no matter what the size your mm-hmm. audience is. You and should they should, but told. if you're on a national stage, it shouldn't be that way. You should be a much exactly. more objective. You should be accountable Everyone for your Everyone is allowed voice. to have their own opinions, but yes, you should absolutely be accountable for the things that you're saying. And for the facts. And it should be a fact-based report. Like, yeah. there shouldn't be any... If, if you're going into a situation and you're getting information from someone and it is incorrect and you get to that situation, whatever it may be, that information causes you to end up making mistakes in the long run with whatever you're working on because you've been given misinformation. It might not be completely inaccurate, but the statement has been designed in a way to mislead the actual fact behind what's being said. So they're actually stating the truth, but they're making, they're implying that it's something different. So with this constantly going on, you're losing sight of what the real base subject material is. You're, you're losing sight on the fact that this could be portrayed as this or it could be portrayed as this or it could be portrayed as this but i just want to sell it as that so regardless of the fact that this is going to affect someone or something i don't care i just want to make money off of it and people buy it every day millions and millions and millions of people eat into it and it's gotten to the point to where now the media has essentially caused us to get into a frenzy and we saw the january 6th incidents happen because people have this false sense of what's actually happening in the world. They are seeing their own facts and their own subgroups, and they think that that is the absolute truth. That's actually why I started this Great Awakening Map project, was to kind of break it down so people could realize, okay, not everything has to be true, even if it's interesting, and this person says some stuff that is true. I just want to point out that we actually got to this right here from mind calmness. <laughs> uh, so we're we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and and try and move on to the next term. This is why quick. you don't let Chris do things. No, I think this was great. That was yeah. absolutely that's absolutely the reason people are stuck in this this circle, this perpetuating. Yeah, that is a, definitely a piece of it. Is that and. You're being sold one thing by nine different people. It just depends on which network you want to go to buy it from. And, you know, it's kind of like, uh, well, it's just like we've talked about before, one of our common favorite movies, Fight Club. Fuck yeah. You know, and that's why he he has that breakdown, because he realizes the falseness of that lifestyle that's being sold to him. Mm Mm-hmm. Chuck Palahniuk, still a great writer. Paul, uh, Portland legend. I... I, uh, got to meet him briefly at western uh for a screening of fight club actually uh all right uh back on to this though vipassana is the next term uh we're talking about and uh yes and why don't you bring us up a couple of these and sean and i can talk for a few minutes and you can join us in on another so are you having fun yeah this feels like you know, mm-hmm. what I would love to see happen all the time on video with all of us here, mm-hmm. fucking airing. This would be, this is the three-year plan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I still have to find some way to make you guys move to Austin at least temporarily. <laughs> all right. Uh, 
So vipassana is the next term and uh, literally means special super scene. It's a Buddhist term that's often translated as insight, uh, which you and I have talked about a few times. Mm-hmm. Now, see, okay, so I have not done any deep studying into Buddhism, but just going from my base knowledge and looking at this is, I kind of see these two working together in that, you like we talk about how you get to that point of stillness, and then that's when those, those higher messages arise and are able to come in. Absolutely. It's, I think it is almost seen like the second step. You mm-hmm. have to achieve shamatha, um, that, that calmness. And once you can stop letting your thoughts control you, once you can... And it's not about... It's not completely still. A thought comes in and you just go, oh, that's a thought. I don't have to pay attention to it. And let it float the fuck by. Exactly. And so once you get to that point where you've got that calmness, your monkey mind stops trying to throw more thoughts at you, and then you get those insights. You, what you, those things, those kernels that start popping up actually start coming from deeper within you. They start being more relevant to your life, and you can kind of take things in a new direction. Right, and to, you know, bring this back to even a little bit more of a... Uh, tangible framework is thinking about you know my work as a massage therapist I always tell people often times that the benefit of that work besides me pushing on the pushing and pulling on the tissue is that chance to just stop for an hour yeah get away from the rest of the world that stillness to decompress because they can't move they can't use their phone they're literally stuck duck on the fucking table and all they can be is with their thoughts i mean yeah, some conversation of course but not a lot of conversation a lot of right, times. right. but it's, it's a chance to just kind of especially the this first the the uh the shamatha. The yeah you know it's like moving at least a little bit in that direction getting away from this outside sensory input and just mm-hmm just getting in the way this manifests as physical tension out of the body. Well, um, this next, the next parts that I'm going to mention, I'm going to probably uh, just mention rather briefly. Um, the sections of the map that we're covering, fucking A, a lot of tiny motherfucking font. Mm-hmm. I've already been demonetized because I used fuck way too early back in the beginning, so I'm just going to use it wherever the fuck I want. Um but I really do believe in the, the Buddhist philosophies. Uh, I come from a, you know, raised by a lapsed Catholic and a lapsed Lutheran and a basically Christian upbringing. Um, Chris, who just went downstairs to smoke and get us some drinks, by the way. Thank you, sir. Um, he, uh, he was from a Fundamental Baptist. Uh, uh, and you also had a fairly religious upbringing for a while that I didn't even know about because it had started to wane by the time we had met. Mm-hmm. And so um, you can come to these philosophies from every religion, which is what I, what I learned very early on. And I always wanted to kind of be able to translate between all of them. Exactly. I wanted to, to help kind of bridge the gap between them because they're all trying to say the same things at a slightly different time in a slightly different way. Um, but the, the next terms that they were mentioned on the map are service to others, forgiveness, Buddha mind, 
compassion and equanimity. And the only one that's not, you know, fairly self-explanatory is Buddha mind. And uh, that's just kind of a, a loving kindness kind of a thing uh, from my understanding. You know, it's just having compassion, uh, the next word on the list, uh, for all beings. Well, and I think a big piece of it, too, and especially I know in Buddhism they talk about a lot, but it relates to anything, is it's the freedom from suffering. Yes. And I think something important to remember on that is people talk about, you know, freedom from suffering. They think that means that bad things aren't going to happen. That's not, I don't think, quite what it means. Because no. that's not, pain happens suffering is when we get stuck in that it's a choice it's learning how to like we've talked about before you know do this emotional processing and let go and move on and see what value there was to the experience the first rule of buddhism is life is suffering and so once you realize and it's still not even just like okay so i'm just supposed to accept suffering no it's like there's going to be suffering no matter how good things are at you know this any given point in time there is likely to be suffering again not many people die in their sleeps in a happy dream next to you know their loved ones who die right with them so they don't leave anybody you know mourning it's just not realistic as much as the notebook may want us to believe that um but it you can still you know accept that suffering process it feel your feelings accept them as valid talk about them so other people can accept their own feelings so that they can feel validated as well right right we all want to be felt we all want to be heard exactly we want to be felt we want to be loved and so if we can do that kind of a thing and keep that in mind uh then we realize that service to others is service to ourselves. That too, absolutely. You know, and to go back on those points, one, and that's why, about experience and working through that, that's why I really like to make the language of it to make a really clear distinction to use the difference between pain and suffering. Mm, okay. You know, the pain happens in life. The suffering happens when we stay stuck with it and reject it. So suffering is almost the mental side, whereas pain is the physical reality that happens. Sure. Interesting. I like that kind of concept. Yeah. Uh, the next couple of terms real quick. Did you have anything on those before we move? Because I know where there's a few we're just going to race through. Yeah, so. I mean, those are, I, I would really hope everybody knows what these basic human version virtues of service to others, forgiveness compassion and equanimity mean oh well i will say uh touch real quick on the point you said about service to others is yes. service to ourselves one yes you can look at that you know it collectively creates a it creates a better collective for us but and i don't have the exact figures on this but uh so when i was uh many years ago i was dating somebody she had a small son we would go to this thing set up through his preschool. It was called the Kids and Dads Night. We'd do an activity together, and then the kids would go to play. We would have a little roundtable talk with a psychologist, and it wasn't like lecturing. It was, it was you know, he would bring up different concepts about parenting and whatnot, and we would just have an open discussion. He was a facilitator. At that point, he, he happened, I remember him mentioning that in Seattle, they did a neurology study. In Seattle, they did a neurology study where they brought in a bunch of monks. Okay. 
and they hooked him up to all kinds of brain scanning devices and how to meditate deeply on compassion towards others and openness and love. And what they found was the bra- in the brain, the part that showed the highest activity was the self- self-pleasure center. Really? So literally being loving towards others gives us self-reward. And well, if, as I believe, everything started from the Big Bang, we're all... Every particle was compressed into literally one particle, pinhead-sized thing that has now created everything in the known universe and all 13.8 billion light years out there of it. Uh, So in some minor way, at the beginning of time, we were all interconnected, quantumly entangled at that source. So I think as time has gone on, those entanglements get weaker and weaker and weaker. Some people you feel more drawn to. Maybe you're you know, brought back into those lives. You're a little bit more entangled with those kind of people, right? Um, but at some level, every person you meet, every driver you pass, every person who's in the grocery store, we're quantumly entangled with them as well. By you stopping and letting that person pass with their cart because we're trying to let the six feet go and everyone's all nervous about passing themselves in the grocery store, you can, you know, give her a little, you know, nod. No one can see your fucking smile nowadays anyway, but you can at least give them a little nod, make their day, and let them have a one less moment of worried, nervous interaction. And that's one moment of peace for one person. And if everybody did that, 10 times a day can you fucking imagine the difference it would make for everybody absolutely i tell you i worked for about eight and a half years in the service industry at fast food i mentioned this in my very first podcast yeah and And i did you worked hard in my time there i did every position in the store except for upper management so in working uh working on the counter taking orders stuff could be uh Especially at that place, it was not run very well, so there was all kinds of stuff to deal with that just made the job difficult. Absolutely. And I tell you, in those situations, the customers that were uh, just, you know, accepting, polite, you know, didn't even have to be overly friendly and, and chatty, you know, just like I said, you know, knew how to make the process move and got through it, you know, those absolutely made my day. I mean, that's how I got through a lot of that. So, yes, those little tiny moments can be so powerful. There's going to be a lot of the audience who I think can relate to a fast food job at some point in their or life. service industry of some kind. Yeah. Exactly. People don't understand if they haven't done it what a true skill it is. It is. And when you're raised at a, at a point in society where your parents are and you don't have to ever work those kind of a job, it, it is a different kind of a feel. Um, but just like you said, those people that they're not even nice. They're just, this is what I would like. This is how I like it. Here's my money. Have a good day. My day was so much better than the asshole that would come by three customers later. And the one person, maybe two on a good shift, that smiled and made a joke and made me laugh. Just like you said, fuck yes. Thank you for making me get through these six to eight hours. I could not have been here without you. Mm Mm-hmm. So uh, that brings us to peace, joy, and equanimity, which equanimity, double time right there, but uh, I think that goes right along with it. 
bring more peace and joy in people's life. Everybody is equal. Anything on those? Uh, no, I mean, that's, that's, that's what we all work for. And, you know, when you make that the place you move from, you know, that's, that's the practical application of the stuff is, is like the next one, you know, it says raise your vibration. Well, that's how you do it. You, you make these the values you operate from. Absolutely. And now we'll get into a lot of uh, raise your vibration kind of talk in here as well at some point. But uh, hold on one second. Are you done done? Okay. Uh, I'm going to mention that. But I, I would love for you to come back and join us on some more. I had a blast with you, yeah, man. That was great. That was amazing. Okay. He looks pretty cooked. <laughs> I, I'm not sure how I'm going to edit this, but I got to leave that line in there. Um <laughs> Uh, Chris just got done smoking and I think that made his system realize that um, he's had enough for today so <laughs> he's going to go lay down for a little bit so that our amazing steak and potatoes meal, he did a great job on the barbecue and Sean did awesome on the fucking potatoes, thank you for this guy's night, it was very much needed um, but he's going to go take himself a little you know, siesta, he might join us uh, later on here but we still have a shit ton of conversation for you. So we're going to see how this goes. Uh, but the raise your vibration was where we're at. And like I said, there's more of it later on. But that's it. It's a, it's a woo-woo term. It's a new age term that's just kind of out there that doesn't necessarily tell you what it means. But if you're already in the know, then you know vibration. You're raising it higher. You're getting in touch with your higher self. So that's basically raise your vibration. Well, I'll bring it down to something a little bit more real world common life that people can grab a hold of okay is that just think about the difference between how you feel between when your greatest happiest most later times and when life really sucks when life really sucks you feel low energy you your body is very closed in on itself mm -hmm. it's low it's small think about almost like a car that has trouble starting because that energy can't move is a uh, uh, to I, where when yeah, you're, I feel like fetal position, like I'm curled up. I'm just right, like I feel, can't expand you know, myself. Yeah, and you feel very small and withdrawn into yep. yourself. My and shoulders are down. I'm I'm not holding myself tall like I should be. Right, and then when you're when you're on the opposite end of that, you know, you're very open. You're flowing. You're moving. You know, you know it is. You know, and there we can absolutely talk about metaphysicals and you know what's going on. And there is stuff about auras and stuff. We'll kind of circle back around to this. That that's part of it too. But you know, just that just that way you feel. You know, that's that's a shift in your vibration. That's a shift in your consciousness. That's very very common. We all experience those flows. And I just want to remind people that just because something is minor and you can disregard it doesn't mean that you should in fact paying more attention to those minor things makes you realize and like feel more of those minor things which makes them feel more connected more synchronistic it's just yeah i i hope that people become a little bit more mindful take a little bit of the time and remember that we don't get to do our days over we're only living this life you know this time so far great contraction and multiple multiverses and all that <laughs> other stuff out of the way maybe you know we can plug back into the virtual reality after we finish this one maybe we're morty in the arcade but uh <laughs> until then you know we gotta try and do our best so 
Um, all right, this next one has a little bit of uh, information behind it. Um, have you heard of it before? Yep. In fact, I don't know if you do, but I got pulled up. Uh, well, you yeah, tell it what it is, but I got some of the um, of, of one of the actual times they did this here in D.C. Okay, cool. All right. So what Sean and I are talking about is the Maharishi effect. Um, it's basically group meditation where you're focusing on peace, and it's been shown to reduce violence dramatically. So uh, generally, the Maharishi effect may be defined as the influence of coherence and positivity in the social and natural environment generated by the practice of transcendental meditation. So TM, transcendental meditation, it's all meditation. It's basically just thinking about peace is basically what they're talking about. The terms, there are specific breath practices. There's a lot more you can get into it. But honestly, you're all meditating. So just think about peace and try and calm your thoughts down and your breath a little bit. Slow your mind, you know. Not that I'm doing a good job of that right now. Uh, but but yeah, thoughts? Th there's more pieces to this. So real quick, I uh, have an article here, and specifically, um, in 93, they did one of these in Washington, D.C. At the start of it, I don't remember, see here how long they did it for, but uh, at the start, there were about 800 meditators. By the end, they got up to about 4,000. Okay, 4,000 meditators, you said in D.C.? Yeah, and this okay. was in 1993, and they saw a 23.3% drop in HRA, HRA crime while the demonstration was happening, then it, uh, but it rose back up again after they stopped. Very interesting. Did they list there where the statistics came from by chance? Um, I like to give things the benefit of the doubt. Uh, what's the website you're looking at? Actually? It is World Peace Group. All right, World Peace Group. Um, check them out. Check out their stats. But I have seen some, you know, evidence that it looks like you can affect uh, consciousness on a group scale as well. I know that individually they've shown like uh, messing with random number generators and zeros and ones, things right. like that, getting variants in lines that uh, of random chance that you shouldn't be able to do have been proven to, uh, effective. So it's basically raising that to the next level, that, that group consciousness level. Right, and when this goes back to like, uh, you take this in a negative aspect, this is the same way mob mentality works, you know, this, this is the way, mm. you know, Hitler mm -hmm. was able to fire up the crowds, he gets them, he puts out this idea, then gets that rhythm going, and gets them all locked in this idea about, about all the bad Jews and yada yada yada. Fuck it's yeah! So it's, uh, it's oh wait, we want to kill who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's that same concept just utilized in a different way, when people come together and all think about and focus into one area as a group there's this this connection this resonance that happened that raises it up higher you know we see this you know just like in in scientific experiments of different frequencies okay you know so the next term actually goes into this as well it's the transfiguration uh, into light um, which is uh, better known as ascension. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, a good way to describe it. I should have probably written one down. Uh, but basically, it's the belief that we have 
and have a higher being within us that we're trying to get to. We're raising our vibration to that. Um, there's part of me that thinks that this whole three or four D process, if you include time, that we're experiencing now, is part of um, an experience our souls, our, our our higher selves, have agreed to or have entered into uh, being. With that being the case, the ultimate goal would be is after this life, maybe uh, that energy that's there would ascend to the next plane. We go to the afterlife. Hopefully we don't get stuck in a bardo of our own creation, which is normally we'll get into bardo later. But um, we're trying to ascend higher and higher. Uh, the ultimate ascension would be one with the source. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Okay, so hopefully I've explained that well enough. Uh, the map goes on to say or kind of groups the next kind of terms together, um, and that is ascended masters. It doesn't necessarily give us anybody except for one example we're about to get into, but um, it's said that you gain abilities as you um, reach further levels of ascension and are able to five, six, and seven or higher dimensionality while interacting with yourself here on Earth still. So, very mind-melting stuff at times. Well, let's, you know, <laughs> speculate on this, that if, if you could bring your consciousness to the level to observe beyond the three or four dimensions now, why would you not be able to operate and do things beyond the limitations of third or fourth dimensionality? Absolutely. Uh, like basically standing outside of time and being able to interact what you needed to. Or um, stories of gurus being in two places at once, basically. Or more. Which is, you know, going back to, you know, these ancient religious texts are many, 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 many things. But among others, they're an early expression of what we're just now discovering through the good old quantum science. <laughs> you know, it is exactly, you know, you just said being in two places at once, you know, they're there. They can do that with particles now through quantum science. Absolutely. Quantum entanglement that we can transport. Mm -hmm. We, this is a teleport rather. Yeah. We're yeah. on the cutting edge of a lot of shit. It's going to change. This is another universal truth. That's always been there. We just have a better set of words and language to talk about it now. So, as they gain abilities, uh, it talks about um, telepathy, the ability to manifest objects, telekinesis, or the ability to fly, um, which technically ability to fly could be just another offshoot of telekinesis, being able to move things in right. a different way. But we actually talked a little bit about this in our last episode, right? Mm-hmm. So I believe that was episode 16. I think I actually mentioned it later on in the notes, but I didn't mention it for this here. Um, but uh, the only thing we didn't really talk about was manifesting objects, but we kind of hit on that just a second ago. If, you could, if you're operating in the fifth dimension or the sixth, I guess, yeah, fifth dimension because outside of time, um, so you're up one level from us, then... Why couldn't you, you know, I mean, make you, miracles happen, Jesus? Well, well, you know, if you exactly or Buddha, yeah, Muhammad, all of them, we appreciate your service to all of us. We can all come together. Thank you. But you know about about the manifestation there. 
as I said earlier, my point of view is that we are never not manifesting. Mm-hmm. You know? We cause the occurrences of our lives to come in from what our perception is within. You know, and especially when, when we want to consciously start to do this, like say we want to bring more abundance into our life for, for whatever reason, you know, only right now because of our perception is the reason why there's a timeline process to that. Yes. We raise our consciousness, see be outside time. Why could we not instantly manifest thing? Math something? says that all time exists now, and I believe that to be true. So to me, it's just kind of... I get that we're experiencing time linearly, um, but I guess technically it's happened, or maybe it's happening in multiple ways in a way that it's condensing in on itself. And yeah, I need another drink. So um, (laughs) it's just, I understand that there's things that we're not going to know in this lifetime, uh, but I love that... uh, us apes are still trying. Mm-hmm. Um, before I get to uh, the actual one guru that they mention in here, anything you want to say on this? All right. We're, we're, uh, yeah. Padma Sambhava. Uh, yeah, I actually know how to pronounce some of this shit. Wow. <laughs> Padma Sambhava also known as Guru Rinpoche, incarnated as a fully enlightened being, as foretold by Buddha Shakyamuni, which there was this guy that I was talking to at Coffee Creek, and he was trying to say uh, Siddhartha while I was saying Shakyamuni, and I was basically saying that they were the same person. He looked at me like I'm crazy. If you ever by chance happen to hear this podcast, fuck you and go do some research. Um, <laughs> Padmasambhava is considered the second Buddha by the Nyingma <laughs> by the Nyingma school, the oldest Buddhist school in the in Tibet, known as the Ancient Ones. Do you know anything about Padmasambhava or any other ascended master gurus? Um, yeah, basically the second coming of Buddha. They they don't see Buddha as being, you know, one and all. It's Always, there. Everybody can become a Buddha. Everybody is a Buddha. Uh, but you, I asked. I'm sorry, I asked and then rambled. <laughs> uh, no, like I can't say, cite anybody that's out there right now labeling themselves as the new ascended master. There but, was you know. that uh, Buddha boy back in the uh, '90s and 2000s who's grown up and had some issues. I hear, but. Uh, <laughs> Don't all gurus? I mean, Chogyam Trungpa used to fucking tell his people, yeah, you're not really supposed to have possessions. Yeah, give me that Rolex. And then we have this car. It doesn't, it, to him, it was just playing around. And I get that. But when you look at it, it's, it also does look like taking advantage of a lot of people, too. And so it's, it's this weird play with reality that they have. Hmm. It's a, they are trying, in my thought of it as a guru as an ascended master somebody who's working from that level you're not actually trying to do what's right all the time it's actually not trying to be here you're trying to help somebody else get the lesson they need to learn sure so and, and uh, uh, i think we should uh, make a quick distinction between those two terms 
and that you know and ascended master is someone who has you know truly done the soul work and left their selves come to this level may not even be on this plane right now pretty much you know anybody who memorized the teachings and everything could go out and sell themselves as a guru absolutely and try to and try to make money if anyone's trying to get you to pay for things right off or not trying to give you some sort of service or product in exchange for your money be fucking wary that's just just common sense at this point people um but yeah the ultimate point of the ascended masters and all of the other is the escape of samsara which is rebirth on earth right yeah that's that's again one of those common things between many many practices especially that eastern side you mm-hmm. know it's that coming back to source i mean it's it's that return back and once you return to source, the map talks about universal knowledge um, and then points out once again, I think I mentioned this in one of the previous episodes, uh, omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence. Um, more on those, but basically all knowing, all powerful, and everywhere at once. Um, basically, the source is everything. It's all of time. It's all of the infinite, right? Yep. I'll say when, when I was... Uh young and still going to church that concept was one of the ones that that was one of my first evolutions in my idea of what god was and that especially being in it was so young you know which they teach it to make that sense of of divinity very relatable as almost like you know the typical old man in the sky yeah so but when i thought about all these these attributes they attribute to god to source even back then, when I still was very much living from a Christian viewpoint, as a kid, I would say this was like late grade school, early junior high age-ish. But I come to understanding, well, you know, it makes more sense that God is more like a presence, a force, you know, that maybe there is a central consciousness there, but, you know, there isn't like this singular being like you would actually go talk to in heaven. It's just like the, this flow. And, and in my own, just as a story of my own evolution, you know, mm. that was one of the first kind of evolutions and shifts in my understanding of what deity was now we're going to get into this uh probably here soon um but viewing the source as all-encompassing and then kind of sorting down to us in various layers until we become this you know these four-dimensional beings right now um definitely has a different perspective on it right Mm -hmm. uh the map uh, goes on to um, imply that basically uh, after death, we uh, when we go through bardo, um, which is uh, one of the last Buddhist terms, and I probably should have got a better definition of it, but it's basically um, your after death experience, um, and that is what actually leads us to those higher realms and Buddha fields, which are uh, pre-universal knowledge. You know, um, it it's that next layer up that next dimension or so maybe the one after that where you're getting higher and higher um eventually getting to empty awareness um and back to the source and end to suffering and the one Mm -hmm. and that's basically what we were talking about there that's everything that i wrapped up in the maps buddhist uh philosophy that seems to be you know scattered throughout that thing um any thoughts on the the Buddhist stuff before we move on to the next part? 
you know, I just think it's such a great kind of universal philosophies. You know, that's that's. I think the one of the nice things about Buddhism is you can approach it from a very open mind because they say, you know, that you know it's not a religion; it's a philosophy. You can be a Buddhist Christian. You can be a Buddhist anything. You can apply yes. these kinds of practices to anything, and it just brings a great centering and deeper connection to whatever you're following. There is no way that I could separate my Catholic Christian background from my Buddhist beliefs and philosophy. Once I got to a certain level of mental understanding of it, I can't impart that verbally yet. I'm trying, people. But once I got to that level of mental understanding where I could wrap my head around it, it, it just became it just became so evident that they were trying to say the same thing. Yeah, when you find those those juicy middle ground areas. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's part of why, and I know it resonated with you, but that's why I had you read Conversation with God. Thank you for suggesting that, by the way. Because it takes so much. It, it breaks down those core concepts and then says, and here's how it was expressed in that Christian language. Mm-hmm. You know? You know he lives in Oregon here? Yeah, like in the Eugene area, right? I think Ashland. I think it's down yeah, that's south. Right. That's yeah. right. That's uh, right. They've got a big uh, uh, community of um, Shakespeare, Oregon Shakespeare Festival, lots of uh, theater down there, lots of mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. open-minded people. Um, but, yeah, that, it was a an amazing read. I read the first three volumes. I think there's a fourth one out now. And, um, again, this is a... Conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh. Yes, please look it up. I'm about to take another dab. Sorry about the echo over here. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just... If people would realize that religion is trying to get you to believe in something, whereas spirituality is you getting to believe in yourself, uh, you could... You just can open yourself up a little bit more. It doesn't have to be a confrontational thing. It doesn't have to be I'm right and I know everything because I don't fucking know everything. I don't know goddamn anything probably. But yeah, more most anything. I do not know anything for sure. I know how certain things work and I can make things work. But I can't tell you why or the underlying quantum mechanics behind all of it. And even if I could, why the fuck would I bother? It, it's part of life at this point, and I, I just I wish that people would stop getting caught up in the dogma and start just kind of getting back to the message. Christianity, no matter how fundamental it is, is about loving each other. Yep. Jesus, people, literally, <laughs> right? Uh. Now, here's an interesting ponderance for you, though. I can't say this is 100% the way it is or isn't. I have not researched this yet, but this is just a random thought my brain had at one point. All right. I'm looking forward to it. So if we approach things from the idea that ultimately everything that happens in our experience is part of our growth, part of our ascension, (coughs) part of what's there to move us forward, and things only happen that at least on a soul level beyond this plane we consciously agree to create so that tells me 
on some level, we agreed to let organized religion rise to the level that it has. It's now think of, now think about when it really came into power, and the really the powerhouse of it all is Christianity, which Absolutely. came Romans as Rome was collapsing, was falling down. You know, this was a you mean America? Oh wait, Rome, America. Sorry, Rome. But, it is. and some and similar idea is though you know this was a much more open, free society, and you know where this is based on old pagan ideas, which which put a lot of personal power in people's hands. You know, but this was a very decadent, indulgent society. So what if, on a soul level, we saw what was going on, and we said, okay, we need to put a cap on this because we're going to destroy ourselves. And so it allowed this thing called organized religion to come up, and so it put us set to where we still are experiencing connection with the divine. We're still getting that message of universal love. But because we attribute things to a higher power, and I believe it also serves a purpose for those in people's soul evolution okay. that are at the point of where, where they are ready to experience that divine connection, but they, for whatever reason, cannot yet accept the responsibility of their own creative power. Okay. You know, it's, it's, they need to have that experience as part of their growth and their evolution. And, and again, I, I, uh, I, I believe that is, you know, one possible reason why as a collective we may have allowed organized religion to arise well and I believe this was from conversations with God but I've read so many books over the years sometimes they get jumbled but um, talking about why bad things happen to good people why children are taken things like that it's not because God wants us to suffer or anything like that it's because you know all of these things things happen but because Let's take a child with cancer. Or, you know what, let's take a very personal example for me. Let's take my half-brother who was born with pieces of his heart missing, okay? They thought he was going to live three weeks. Made it to 12. Fucking miracle child, okay? That's fucking a miraculous. Don't get me wrong. Most of my life I've thought, fucking 12 years old, what the fuck? He missed out on so much. And I was thinking about it on what he missed out on. But he also... He came in and he beat the odds for 12 years. Yep. He fought. He, you know, times were probably not easy for that family. But there had to have been so many lessons for so many people that he helped bring through. Yep. And so if I could see it from a fifth dimensional perspective outside of this, he touched thousands of tens of thousands of lives and brought these these feelings of well-being into others so well yes he lived a short life and it was painful and i'm pissed the fuck off that he died as early as he did i am beyond grateful that he was my you know best friend one of my if not my best friends for those 12 years while i was in town before I even knew that he was my half-brother, when I just thought he was my cousin, which is another story if you haven't listened to the intro, but it's just... And those and things make things worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. And that is that is so right there. That is these things we've been talking about in practice. You know, seeing seeing that, yeah, those things can coexist at the same time. And that... 
one doesn't necessarily deter from the other, doesn't lessen the other, but choosing to see those positive things makes those negative things palatable, makes us able to process and, and handle them and live with them. And again, move from that point of pain out of suffering. You know, that is, that is exactly it right there. You, you look at what you can draw out of it. Well, it's, uh, it's definitely, we've got to take a step back. Uh, there was a, an NPR, I think it was a, a hidden brain that I was listening to, um, where they were talking about uh, this guy wrote a book on thanking everybody who was responsible for his morning coffee. And that meant down to the you know, semi-truck drivers, to the coffee bean growers, to the store workers, to everything on the path. And when you can step back for a minute and realize how much work goes into that, mm-hmm. I think they calculated it out. If everybody got a living I think they they went with a $15 an hour minimum wage, like what we were trying to do for America, which I still hope passes, which is still not enough to really live on with prices the way they are in some places. You still have to share houses with people. You still have to cohabitate. You, it's it's a lot out there. We should be able to afford it on our own, but that's a whole other fucking podcast. Um, remind me where I was for a second. Uh. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, living wages. I think they said yeah they calculated it out that fifteen dollars an hour that it would be something like thirty seven dollars for that cup of coffee that you drank every day if everybody along that route got paid a living wage, and we're paying three bucks. So think about that next time and think about all those people down that line that fuck we should be trying to make sure everybody can live that that food and shelter are not just, you know, hoped for, but a given for every child that is growing up in the world. It's just unbelievable knowing that we have the money and the ability, the food to feed everybody, the ability to to make housing, and we're just not doing a goddamn thing about it, really. Things are slowly tipping that way. So slowly. Jeff Bezos alone could goddamn near solve the problem. And I'm not you know, throwing you under the bus, but I hope your retirement as CEO means you're turning philanthropist, motherfucker, because right now you just look greedy for no reason. It, it should be about everybody. And I hope you take a turn for that. Bill Gates has in a little way. Hopefully not with, you know, uh, what's the, the, the conspiracy theory? Vaccines ridden with the uh, AI. Or, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think that's the case. But, uh, yeah. I, I just... I just wish people would continue to be grateful. I've been trying to hold that mindset, and I hope people do as well. Take that, if nothing else, from these conversations. But with that, yeah, go back to when the gratitude piece, you know, that what you talked there about the with the cup of coffee and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, and the ease we have, in, especially in our country and in this culture, that's why, like... I don't want to make this sound like in any kind of egotistical error or arrogant kind of thing, but when I see people getting 
fed up about the line in the grocery store. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, like, I understand the need to want to get to where you're going. Absolutely. But I always just really come back to the point of, um, I can literally go get something to eat at any time. Yes. You know, what a phenomenal blessing that is. I am not currently worried where my next meal is coming from. Mm -hmm. I am standing in this store. I'm going to tell you a little thing that I thought was amazing. Uh, I was just sitting being patient. There was a long line at Winco, which is a local food place around here, and really popular after the winter storm. I even gave it a day, but everybody was still trying to stock up. Shells were, you know, bare-ish, things like that. Um, but I'm, I'm there, and I'm waiting. Chris is actually there with me, and he's, like, starting to try and pace back and forth, trying to get in line. Well, I, I want to go wait in this line over here, you know, number 13 or whatever, and I'm just like... I'm just, you go do you, Chris. I'm fine. I'm going to stay right here. And we're waiting. People filter through. And then all of a sudden, another checker appears, comes directly over to me and says, sir, I can help you over here at number 14. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate that. I waited patiently and I got helped before I would have if I'd gone down to any of those other lines and tried to force myself in. I waited patiently, opened things up, and I got through there yeah, we bagged all of our stuff. We tried to make it as quick and painless for him. Made a couple of nice little jokes. Kind of made made each other's day. If every interaction can go like that, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Mm -hmm. Thank you, whatever source. I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that pretty much concludes our Buddhist section there. Um, we're moving on to this uh, next little highlight of other spirituality because... Well, there was a shit ton of stuff to try and compile. So um, what I started with, I, I was actually going to rearrange this because I was going to go into Hinduism next because uh, that in, uh, bodes well right after the Buddhist stuff. But uh, because I didn't, uh, we're going to go ahead and start with uh, first, second, and third wave volunteers. Before we jump into this, can I... Uh since I've listened to, well, I still have to listen to the second one, but I've listened to the first episode of this, and I think this overall subject is fascinating. Yeah. Something I want to get a little clarity on. Please. In your research, have you ever said, now, 5D labels this, this as the path that led him to our higher consciousness. So you talk about some of these things that, you know, especially in the first one that are a little out there, you know. Just our, a bit. Our good friend Corey Good and all that. <laughs> now, I'm wondering, back. I'm wondering, does... Do you know, does 5D, does he claim these things are true? Or is this, he says, this is the path that led him to consciousness, is looking at these concepts and doing his own research and development what maybe led him to making some more of his solid conclusions? You know, where do you know, have you said anything where that line lies? I think he's walking a very fine line. And I want to preface this that this is my personal opinion. Having listened to a few podcasts, seen a few videos of him explaining the map, um, he genuinely believes in a lot of this stuff, and he spent a shit ton of time researching. He is a smart, capable individual who obviously is a talented graphic designer as he helped the QAnon world spread, and... Those of us just in the conspiracy theory world have been fascinated by this thing that is going to stick around thanks to the AI that's already crawling the fucking web right now listening to us. 
So, I think at one point he was sucked into or believed most of, if not all, of the things on this map to some level. And because of his enthusiasm for the subjects, he infected a lot of people mm -hmm. as we're starting to realize that thoughts are infected, uh, infective as well. It's not just viruses. You can, you can, you know, thought viruses. It's that group think that we're, we're starting to you know, learn about. And I think that because he was so exuberant in his studies, he's probably backed down now as personally what I think is that it's kind of become a, he had all of this information. He was really excited. He pushed it all out there. He wanted to help people. And that's the real goal. He wanted to help people. Mm -hmm. But I think that uh, as he got into the Zog Chen kind of stuff, I, I've heard a little bit less and a little bit quieter, and maybe that's him quieting his mind. Maybe that's him reaching Shamantha instead of um, diving deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole of conspiracies. Very well could be. So I do think that uh, he never said that he believed all of it, but the excitement you could hear in his voice... Um, it reminded me of the recent Robert Bigelow interview on JRE, which was just released, I think, yesterday. I watched it. Um, Robert Bigelow is a very uh, important philanthropist who owned Skywalker Ranch for a while. Um, uh, and not Skywalker Ranch, Skinwalker Ranch, excuse me. <laughs> uh, paranormal hotspot kind of place. He's an aerospace mm -hmm. uh, guy who's made billions. He's funded a whole lot of stuff because he's been fascinated by the research. But because he was hooked at an early age and wants to believe, it's easier to convince him by a preponderance of the evidence instead of a very much black and white case. Right. Where JRE wants fact, I need this to be true right now, and he is all preponderance, I probably lie somewhere in the middle. And I have, uh, in both in-person discussion and in, in uh, groups on Facebook and whatnot, I've definitely seen that as a tendency, and when we start to get into some of these alternative thought ideas, yes, is that... You have to be really mindful about what's being putting out there because, you know, there's a difference between liking an idea, being exciting idea, being open to the possibility of an idea yeah. and saying, this is the way it is. This is what it is. And you know, and I think there's a certain degree there where people, you know, they're getting to these things because they're disillusioned with the status quo. You know, and I think there's maybe a hopefulness that they just want it to be true just because it's different. It's what's going to give them an answer, what's going to break this out. So I encourage anybody, especially if you're very new to researching these kinds of things, you know, find a balance between an open-mindedness and also a healthy amount of cynicism. I think that is so perfectly well said. And I just happened to look over at the time. Um... I already knew this was going to end up running long. We're fucking barely into this thing. Mm -hmm. um, so since we're going to split these up, um, 
I think this is a great time. Thank you, Sean. I can't think of a better way to, to end this one first part. I wanted to apologize for the abrupt ending, but Sean and I decided to take a quick break and come back and record part five together later that night. Uh, thankfully, we were fueled by a little bit of Awaken Vape's own Energize and uh, had a very fun little session. I hope you guys enjoy next week. Thank you again for listening as I ramble through another episode on one of the most fascinating pop art pieces of the last decade. I hope that you enjoyed yourself as much as I did and that you're looking forward to next week. I want to give a special thanks to all of our listeners. You are the reason I'm doing this. Please tell your friends about us, follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on YouTube or wherever else you're listening, and if you can, please leave us a comment or a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Why not both? It really will help with visibility. You can also support us on Patreon or connect with us on the social media of your choice. We are at Awakened Exchanges on Facebook and Instagram and at Awaken Exchanges on Twitter. Thanks again and have a blessed day.